0: Neil McCrady and Martin Palomo.
1: Welcome to another edition of Mind on My Money presented by Pinnacle. I'm Neil McCrady. Martin Palomo with me here today as well. We normally tape on Thursday mornings. This is a Wednesday morning. I'm going to be out of pocket for a couple of days. So Martin was kind enough to uh, adjust his schedule to make this happen today on this Wednesday. A lot going on in our world, uh, markets, the Fed. State of the Union was last night as we record this on a Wednesday morning. So a lot to for us to dive into, and we'll do that in just a moment. First, I want to tell you, I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662 257 that number. Call it, ask for Corey Clark, tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote. Within 15 minutes in business hours, 662-257-1900. And Martin, before we uh, get rolling and dive in too deep, tell the people about Pinnacle and how they can get in touch with you all.
0: Indeed. Uh, man, happy to be with you on this. It's a beautiful Wednesday morning here. Um, things are crazy like they have been for the last couple of weeks, but I am definitely encouraged by Pal's testimony, which I know we'll talk about as we kind of get into the show. But, um, you know, one of the things we have told and we're about to jettison out a written piece to to all of our contacts, not even just our clients, but, you know, just people who, uh, who have, you know, shared their email address with us and want to hear our thoughts on things. But, you know, one of the, one of the people that was written in the piece was really, you know, in times of uncertainty, diversification and not making emotional decisions. And I know it sounds like we beat this horse to death, but we beat it to death because, because it's important. Um, you know, it was really the best decision that people, people can make and a Reed co-authored this piece with me and he kind of got into some statistics too. So, um, you know, especially with conflicts. So, you know, if, if, if people are listening to this and they've been doing it on their own, um, you know, or they just want to check, you know, check us out, see if we're a good fit personality wise and, and planning wise, give us a call 601-957-0323 or you can email us at info at mypinnwealth.com.
1: All right, where do you want to start? You want to start with, uh, there's just a lot here. Like, I think the thing that people are talking about the most right now is Russia and Ukraine and the price at the pump. Gas prices are going up. There's people talking about $5 a gallon, maybe more. Um, I'm, I'm looking for a couple of stories here that I'd found earlier. There's so much out yeah. there in the media that it's, uh, sorting through it is, is difficult. All right. And we'll I'm start.
0: Not saying we won't see some prices that, while you're looking. I'll, I'll kind of comment. I mean, I'm, and I'm not saying that we wouldn't see any increases, you know, at the pump, but really like Western Europe is going to fill that. And their, and their gas prices are already like naturally higher than ours anyway, but they're really the ones that are going to fill it at the pump. But I do, I think where people could really fill it the most and, and maybe it's because of the time of year that we're in, maybe the impact will be slightly less, but is in the natural gas market. Because I mean, that was, and we talked about when we, I think the first time we talked about Ukraine on the show, we talked about my brother lived in Moldova in like 2014 I think it was 2013 through 2015 which Moldova is a border country for Ukraine and it was when Russia and Gazprom you know shut off the natural gas flow to uh Western Europe in the winter uh and and it was uh it was it was it made headline news it was a pretty big pretty pretty big event but I think that's where the people will unexpectedly get hammered is in their natural gas so if you have you know, heating oils with, and unfortunately it kind of feels like we're starting to hit spring a little bit, but, um, you know, if you use natural gas, at the house, uh, I would kind of expect that your bills going to go up.
1: So here's the first story. Yeah. There's, there's, yeah, it's all going up. Western firms appear well insulated. This is from the wall street journal. Caitlin McCabe, Charlie Grant wrote this What's up? Uh, early this morning, Caitlin. Eh? Charlie, Caitlin, good people. Western firms appear well insulated against the impact of the sanctions imposed this week on Russia. Whether global markets will fare as well isn't yet clear. Major U.S. stock indexes have been relatively resilient with the S&P 500 and NASDAQ composite, both up at least 1.9% since Russia invaded Ukraine. Investors so far have been calm in the face of the conflict, and many have used the opportunity offered by lower prices to buy. Data suggests that risk-facing Risk-facing U.S. banks with exposure to the region are limited. The good news from the perspective of U.S. finance, the average stock portfolio is hardly exposed to Russian stocks, and U.S. companies have little reliance on Russian revenue. Western banks' exposure to Russia, meanwhile, has dwindled since the 2014 annexation of Crimea. The uncertain and potentially worrisome news, global energy markets may be more exposed to the impact of sanctions than traders, portfolio managers, and policymakers realized. Oil surged Tuesday to its highest level in more than seven years, reflecting in large part the pullback by Western traders from a range of firms they feared might be linked in any way to sanctions. A corresponding plunge in bond yields and bank shares suggest the economic impact in the U.S. could be significant, traders said. To be sure, even the bad news in markets in New York has paled in comparison to what has happened in Europe. This week, the Russian ruble has fallen while London-listed shares of many Russian companies have tumbled. Russia's central bank closed stock trading for Monday and Tuesday to stem further turmoil. Even Tuesday, when U.S. stock indexes tumbled, investors said trading was orderly to be sure potential risk for the u.s and other western markets have emerged while still a small player on the world stage russia is the world's 11th largest economy the country's status as one of the largest suppliers of oil and natural gas keeps it solidly entangled with the rest of the globe rising oil prices could potentially exacerbate inflationary pressures in the u.s and elsewhere Brent crude futures have risen 8.4% to $104.97 a barrel since the invasion. All right, so I have a question here. Sure. And I know you're not an oil expert,
0: but I think it's a question. Uh, I am
1: not. But. but I think it's a question that a lot of people have. And this, yeah. is, this is this a problem that, that I have. and um, I'm a pragmatic person who listens to a lot of other pragmatic people, which makes me more pragmatic. In an ideal world, yes, right, we start shifting as a nation to less energy dependence on other countries. In an ideal world, that includes uh, more reliance on electric vehicles.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: sure. I would
0: say more, I would think more domestic energy production. Well, I was getting but, there. Yes. I was getting then we'll there. We'll go down the was, we'll go down the electric.
1: I'm doing route. the. I'm do, this is my problem. I think sometimes with with and I don't know how to communicate this because people go, "You're a right wing nut." It's like no, I'm not a right wing nut, <laughs> but I'm a realistic I, person. I don't think you're a right wing nut. Well, you either. know me pretty well. I mean, come yeah. on, people who are right wing nuts don't have some of the social views that I have. I mean, I, I, you know, it just doesn't it doesn't last. I, I, I'm, I'm I'm, I'm I find myself siding with the right far more than I ever have before since the pandemic, and frankly, we could dive into that on another podcast about how revisionist history is pretty wild. But regardless, in an ideal world, yeah, man, we, we go to electric vehicles and we don't have to depend on the Saudis or the Russians or anybody, and we're all good. But Martin, we don't live in an ideal world. That's yeah. not realistic. Like you, you, you can. Everybody's like, oh man, these and infrastructure. Yeah, these Ford F-150s that are electric are awesome. Sure, absolutely. Dude, they are. And they are. They F-150 Lightning? Yeah, they're awesome. They are sexy. They're also... I would
0: love to have one. But
1: what's What's the price on one of those pups?
0: Well, I think the starting price on like the... Because I think there's like... And I may be wrong. I think there's like only three trim models. I think there's like the XLT, the Lariat, and then the the Platinum. And I think the XLT starts in like the... 50, 60 yeah, range, and then the platinum's
1: up at like hundred. So this is my point, right? It, lower hundred. So here's my point. Upper nineties, lower hundred. So here's my point. Most yeah, people can't afford that. Not, not only the average person, the, the 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 upper middle class person can't afford that car. Yeah, no, you're right about that. I I'll, I recant
0: my my right. label. Well, I'm I'm not, I'm not
1: arguing. I mean, it's it's but no, no, like, but I'm making but the right. point here. Is I that, was
0: very flippant with my average. Yeah. But yes, most upper middle class families cannot afford a.
1: A hundred thousand dollar vehicle. Frankly, a lot of upper class families can't afford a hundred thousand dollar vehicle, so that's not real. (laughs) And so when they go by twenty twenty five, that's not realistic. It's not realistic. It's simply. I think the thing that they'll, I'm
0: gonna play devil's advocate on you there. Okay, they'll say you're right. There's the the luxury F one fifty Lightning is not in the in the purview of most folks. But then they'll say like you know uh, Nissan or you know, there's other sure. lesser expensive electric so but but those are still, you know, I don't know, thirty, forty thousand dollars, probably yeah, so, I don't to, know. So to, just pulling to, numbers out of my butt.
1: So to my point though, here's what I'm saying is if you drive through the Walmart parking lot in Grenada, Mississippi, or Batesville, or Oxford, or wherever, you'll look yep. at the vehicles. These are people and I'm not this is not me criticizing anyone. Uh, there are no electric vehicles, in this parking lot no so you're talking about i'm I'm going to venture an, at least ninety five percent of the car owning population in our country owns a owns a vehicle that's dependent on petroleum hundred percent so it's not realistic it's that's pie in the sky, and my fear a little bit sometimes is that that's where the far left lives. they live in a utopia. In their minds of wouldn't it be awesome if and the answer is yes yes well, and and can we go 360 with
0: the with the let's pretend and I know we've done this vaguely on the show before but like let's pretend that everyone does have one just one of their vehicles as an electric vehicle okay and I live in Jackson like in Jackson proper not you know I'm not saying I live in Jackson and I actually live in the suburbs I live in Jackson proper, okay, sure, uh, it's a crumbling infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I live with it every day. If if everyone in my neighborhood had just one electric vehicle that had to be plugged in, I just don't know how our electric grid would even. It wouldn't support that. It wouldn't but hold let's up. Let's just pretend that it for well, entertain me for this one, Neil. Okay, let's pretend that, that it would. Right. Okay. Let's say Jackson got their stuff together. Electric grid supports it. Okay. How's that? How's that electricity produced? With uh, fossil fuels, fossil fuels, yeah. I mean, so it's like it's 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 kind of like where you've seen the Tesla charging stations run by yeah. you know a diesel generator. It, it um, Martin, and
1: I just it just trips me out. It's nonsensical. <laughs> and so where we are today, and I love
0: Teslas. I think they're cool
1: cars. Yeah, of man. course, of course they're cool. It's it's all good. No one is saying my point is not. Oh, we should just. Oh, so you're saying we should just give it up and just stay dependent on fossil fuels? No, I'm not saying that. Right, but I, mean, I am. We're not going to generate enough wind energy to support
0: all uh, electrical vehicle infrastructure. We should be producing nuclear energy. Yeah,
1: we, we should, should but absolutely. It, and, but but because that word something. is I'm such a nasty into, word, no one touches it.
0: Yeah, I was going to say I'm going to step out into an area I don't know a lot about. But are we, are we building? And this is a real question. I don't know the answer, and I don't. I don't necessarily expect you to either. Maybe what some of our listeners do, and they can ping us. But are we building new, you know, nuclear facilities, power facilities in the U.S.? I don't know that answer. I, I don't yeah. think so. I guess I, I could look, I could ask Google real quick while you're talking.
1: But my, my point about, you know, electric, green, the, the whole Green New Deal is, on paper, it's awesome. Uh, the, the The vision of it. If it came true, it was great. But it's not realistic by 2025 or by 2045. It's just not. It's not realistic. The people that are making those policies, in my opinion, I think they mean well. I do. I think it's one of the reasons that they get so offended at the pushback from people like me is they look at me like, "What? Do you, why, why would you not want this? And it's not that I don't want it. It's that it's not realistic. And so in the meantime, right now we, we keep talking about we're going to we want to sanction the Russians yet we're buying their fuel we're buying their energy. if we want to hurt the Russians, we stop buying their energy. if everyone stopped buying their energy, well they'd be in trouble because without that they'd have no they they don't, they don't have the money to fund this attack on ukraine it's already not going super from a military standpoint if they if you took away their money the what would happen inside Russia would be enough. The Russians would stop the Russians. But we don't do that because we are, seemed, it seems to me that pragmatically, pragmatically, this would be the time for us to, as a country, when I say us, the U.S., this would be a time to not only resume our domestic, and, and it's not resuming, because we haven't stopped producing right. Or, but, but this would be the time to ramp it up.
0: Pump it up. Yeah, ramp it up. There we go. That's the word. This
1: would be the time to open it up, open up the the whole pipeline, the Keystone pipeline, open up everything where we're back in. We, we've become, as we were just two short years ago, energy independent. Get back to that place. doesn't mean that you're getting back to that place permanently, but now would be the time to get back to that place. Now, I think we should get back right. to that place permanently because I think it. Makes us less dependent on other countries. It lets it's us. It's good it, for our economy, our local economy. You know, Mississippi, especially our local economy. It's good for everything, and it also gives us more power at the bargaining table when we're talking to other countries. It gives us more power at the bargaining table with Japan, with China, with Germany, with whoever. Right? It gives us more. I mean, that's and I'm not defending Trump. I'm, I'm on record. I don't want Trump to run again. I, I think Trump is is caustic. To our environment and I don't uh, from politically I, they, people hate him or, or they love him it's it's bizarre to me uh, but, but they do but I do think he was on to something with that with being able to have more leverage at the bargaining table you know I'm following this Major League Baseball thing and the truth is one of the reasons they don't have a deal and they can't reach a deal is because the owners have all the leverage the players don't really have that much leverage there's not a whole lot they can do other than just not play. And the owners go, okay, cool. Then don't play for a month. You won't get paid and you'll start as you get more and more broke, you'll get more and more desperate and you'll come back to the table and you'll take our deal. If we were more energy independent and now would be the time to ramp that up. I think we would be able to have a lot more leverage on the Russians because we wouldn't have to buy that fuel, that energy as it is. We're having to buy that energy. So in some ways, while we're all walking around carrying our blue and yellow flags and 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 um, portraying our love for for Ukraine, we're funding the war against it. And there's no way around that, Martin. That's what drives me crazy. Pragmatically, is now would be the time. And if Biden and 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 his administration truly wanted to unify the country, well, that would be one of the things that they would do. Instead, his press secretary, Jen Psaki, was asked and she said, no, that's not what we're going to do. We, we, we are in the midst of a major endeavor to become more energy independent and and less dependent on fossil fuels. And that is not a realistic approach today.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you with becoming less dependent on fossil fuels is I just don't, I don't see the path for that. Maybe I mean I guess or uh, maybe there is a path for a little less dependency but not completely independent of fossil fuels. That I just don't think that will ever be be a reality. And so I did I did ask mother Google about uh nuclear power in the in the US and um there are only two new reactors under construction and they're in Georgia but we have permanently shut down 39 reactors, but I don't know what that time frame is, but did say that in 2013, um, the US was a third of the world's nuclear electricity, but right underneath it, there's an article about uh, Russia, and says there are 55 reactors under construction in Russia, and they have major plans for new reactors in Russia. Funny that as we're talking about Russia, that's what pops up
1: yeah it is um all right so i got into that one I'm trying to find the other one that we wanted to go to um maybe this is the one that we already did Let's see this isn't great pod here yeah that's the same story so let me, let me get back to another one they So, Ford to split gas and electric businesses in major overhaul. So, this is, this is what I'm interested in. Like, how long is this going to take? This is, this is uh, Mike Colias, C-O-L-I-A-S, that's a new name, uh, on, uh, from the Wall Street Journal. He says, Ford oh, Motor wow. Company is reorganizing its operations to create two separate divisions, one for its conventional gas engine business and another to focus on developing electrical vehicles and software. Uh, Ford said Wednesday that it plans to keep both operations in-house with separate names and their own leadership structures and profit and loss statements. Eventually, the automaker intends to make to break out separate profit and loss statements for the two divisions. The changes are being made immediately, Ford said. The company also raised its projection of electric vehicle production and profitability. It expects electric, electrics to account for one-third of global sales by 2026 or about 2 million EVs total, and a half of global sales by 2030 compared with a previous target of 40%. Ford also lifted its forecast for operating profit margin by t- to 10% by 2026 from a prior goal of 8%. The plan represents one of the company's boldest steps yet under Chief Executive Jim Farley to speed development of new battery-powered models. It also comes as investors are driving up the valuations of Tesla and other auto startups that aren't encumbered by a legacy business and are focused solely on electric vehicles selling electric vehicles ford shares were ahead about 5% at 1755 in morning trading before mm-hmm. wednesday the stock was down about 20% on the year farley who took the job in 2020 has repeatedly said the business of developing and selling electric vehicles is vastly different from its conventional gas engine operations requiring new technical expertise and a distinct sales strategy our legacy organization has been holding us back we had to change he said during a press conference wednesday is that realistic you think i mean i don't well i'm i'm curious where they
0: where they put classified like the hybrids like the the f150 with the power boost, you know it's a it's a hybrid truck, right? So it's runs on gas, um, but can go into electric mode too. Where I wonder where does that get classified on the gas engine side, or is that classified on the electric side? Because if it's on the electric side, you know, I'm like, okay, I could see people, you know, choosing a hybrid before diving full into, you know, I'm gonna go. Totally electric, no gas whatsoever, and and I don't know. I mean, the, I know they study this stuff, you know, uh, really fi- with a fine tooth comb, you know, before they make big capital investments and and things like that. But surely his numbers are are legit. I just kind of I'm I'm curious where the hybrid fits in there.
1: Uh, I'm looking to see if it's in there. I was reading in the story I mean, could, while you could were could
0: the electric numbers. And if it doesn't, I'm like, wow. I'm I'll be really interested to see, you know, fifty percent of auto sales by by twenty thirty. I
1: just I don't, I don't see I'm, that. I, I just I, don't see that. I don't either. And I I hope they're right. I know it's cleaner. I and then I have another concern. Yeah, so with of, the, the other concern I have it, and you nailed it is the grid. And also people Driving across the country, where do you stop to charge? How do you know you're going to be able to charge your vehicle? There's not. If everyone has one. Because there's zero of that today on the American interstate system. So how do we go from 0% to being able to accommodate 40% or 50% of vehicles on the roads being electric by 2030, which I don't buy at all? Again, again, I I walked through the Walmart in in a Batesville, Mississippi which is a, a, a relatively poor town. Walk through that Walmart and tell me that those people in the next seven to eight years are going to be driving electric vehicles. I, Martin, I'm telling you they're not. I'm a betting guy. If you said make a bet, i said not even close to 40%. 4%? Maybe. 40? Hell no. So how do you get there? This is my thing. Is, this is my point. Is Everyone talks about this is what we have to do. Okay, but how do you get there? This isn't, this is like, you know, the, the fat guy that goes, all right, I've got to lose 200 pounds. Okay. Where's well, how you do it? Yeah, but I don't have access to this or this. Okay. Yeah. But it's going to take a minute. I mean, it, and, and then you have to, have, it, it, It's it's so much easier to say it than to do it. That's why you walk around the same aforementioned Walmart and while 50% of the people aren't driving electric cars 50% of the people are obese it it it's it's just un, we're we're living the people that are running the country and this isn't republican democrat this is just in general i think they're in that bubble and i just don't think they understand the i don't think they have any concept of what the real world is truly like I don't think Jen Psaki's a bad person. I don't. She's very bright. I'm sure she cares for her children, but she's been in that DC bubble for a while and that's who she runs with, is other people in the DC bubble. And so she gets these questions from from people in the media and she just looks at them like they're insane because I think she actually thinks they're insane. Even though I think people like you and me hear the question and like, yeah, it's a good question. She she's like no, you know, we're we're on our way to electric vehicles because in her and in her circle no doubt that they are. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Everything's local. I have no doubt that in Jen Psaki's circle of really smart people who live in the Washington, the D.C. Beltway.
0: New York corridor.
1: I have no doubt that in her circle of friends, by 2030, at least half and probably significantly more will be driving uh, electric vehicles. Yeah. No doubt at all. And that's what she sees. That's the world she lives I just don't think that's really where the world is. It's, it's why I, I, I think, not to get on this topic at all, but a lot of people today are like, wait, a, hold up a minute. On on Monday, Joe Biden gets off the Air Force, not Air Force One, but Marine One, walking outdoors with a mask. And on Tuesday night, the next day, he's pressing the flesh inside the, the Congress after the State of the Union without a mask telling everybody that we're getting away from mask, I think people look at it and go, wait, what? What are we, what, there's, there's just a, there's a disconnect in all of this and people are frustrated. Today, as of today.
0: Sorry, dude, while you're doing, a, while you're talking, I'm not ignoring you. I was trying to look up Ford's blue oval charge network i was trying to look at them look for a map
1: okay i was going to tell um, you that here's a sentence here ford general motors volkswagen are pouring billions of dollars into battery plants and new electric vehicle factories as they race to bring the market bring to market more electric vehicles which today account for just four percent of u.s vehicle sales four percent four percent so you think of all the cars that are out in the market today, only four percent of the ones being produced today are electric, which means that all these other years full of vehicles that have been that are still out and running around and that are being bought, you know, as a previously owned vehicle or whatnot, I will say forty percent of vehicles sold by twenty thirty being electric is impossible. And if you're talking about new sales, maybe. But sales impossible, no chance, no chance. And I'm a family that is. We are. Let's see. It's March. We're we're half a year from five vehicles. None are electric on my street. I know of one electric vehicle. One. And I live in a, you know, what I think you would probably call upper middle class, lower upper class neighborhood in Oxford. A lot of people who do well, homes homes selling for 460 right now roughly. New homes that are being built just north of me, 400 and when I say just north, I mean a quarter of a mile in my neighborhood on the dog walking path, 469. So people with expendable income, people with money, they're not buying electric cars.
0: Yeah, No, I mean, I, I think there'll be some increase for it, but oh, know, oh, I, no, I think in our neighborhood, no you're right. Like in our neighborhoods, like, dude, if I could get my hands on an F-150 Lightning, I, I would love that. And I realize, like, that's I don't even think that's possible for the next couple of years. Well, and I would love that too. I so understand.
1: before anybody thinks I'm being negative about it, I would completely love that. I would love to not. I, I'm. I'm. I've got to go fill up my my truck. I have an F-150. It's not a Lightning. Yeah. It's just an F-150
0: yeah I mean, I don't have a lightning either. I just have a F150 also
1: so I'm going to go so you can relate to what I'm about to say. I'm about to go when we finish with this podcast, I've got it's to go bucks. I've got to go to Kroger and I've got to fill up my car and go into the grocery store and get a couple things that my wife has asked me to get. And so I'm going to fill up my vehicle. It's about two thirds empty right now. It's got about a third tank, but I'm going to fill it up because I'm hitting the road today. and I just one of those people that when I hit the road, I like to start with the full tank. It's going to cost me somewhere between 60 and $70 to fill up my vehicle. And if I ran it down to empty, I'm spending the other day, it was $97 mm-hmm. to fill up my vehicle. Would I love to get away from that and be able to just to charge my vehicle? <laughs> well, of course. Right. But you but you brought up a great point. I heard Adam Carolla bring this up. It was he and Mark Garagos. They were doing uh, Unreasonable Doubt. And somehow they got on this topic, and they were talking about how in California they just don't have the – the electrical grid in place or anything close to it. And these are guys that, I mean, they live in seven and a half million dollar homes. They don't have the grid in place to support everybody having an electric vehicle and charging it overnight.
0: Well, dude, and I just looked in Mississippi, I got on Ford's website on their blue oval, charging station network and I just, and it lets you plan a trip. Like if I was going to, and I just put in Jackson to Miami because I just did that trip recently when I, when I went down for my family's for the funeral and in Mississippi, leaving Jackson, there are literally only two towns that have charging stations and that's in Jackson and then in Hattiesburg and then the next one is mobile. And you may say, well, you, you know, you can get there from Jackson to Hattiesburg and then Hattiesburg to Mobile with, you know, and not have to worry about running out of battery. And and that's right. But then from the panhandle of Florida all the way down to Miami, it's like it looks like every, you know, eighth of an inch on the map has a charting network for Florida. But in Mississippi, we don't. So, like, the the people that are living in Brookhaven – that want an electric vehicle like uh, your only option is to charge at home right and that may be okay for them and it might and be say, hey, if you're not I'm leaving not, uh, if you just drive around
1: that's probably fine
0: yeah yeah but jackson and hattiesburg that's it
1: it's just so far to go
0: and and i realize they'll probably get this thing built out more um you know, as time passes. But, but
1: but but the answer today to how do we impact the Russians fossil fuel is fossil fuels we we, we <laughs> get that going now. And it's it's where people get frustrated is you want what you want to say is like if if as much as I catch myself disliking this administration for a myriad of reasons, the answer would be listen, we we can't stop doing what we're doing to become more energy independent and green energy and we we're we're determined to do this we we believe that we we have a moral obligation to uh to do this okay but for now while we're doing that we are also going to ramp up domestic um production of of a fuel so that we're not dependent on the russians to the point that we don't take anything from russia we're not giving them any money and we're we're going to uh, we're going to starve them out. That, that would be met with um, universal, almost universal. I mean, you know, there would be some people on the very far left that would say, oh, you're just giving in. But most people, uh, especially the people who decide elections, those people would, would applaud that decision. They would say, oh, wow, you actually care about me. You not only care about what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, but you care about me. Because this leads to my next story that I know you want to get into. This is, again, Wall Street Journal. This is written by Nick timorous I believe. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell said he would propose a quarter percentage point rate increase in the central bank's meeting in two weeks amid high inflation, strong economic demand, and a tight labor market. Mm-hmm. Before Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Mr. Powell said he expected the central bank to continue a series of rate increases this year. While he said it was too soon to say, this was an article that was written today, while he said it was too soon to say how the war and the strict economic curbs imposed by the West against Moscow would influence the U.S. economy, he hinted at growing urgency to continue to tighten monetary policy. For now, I would say that we will proceed carefully along the lines of that plan, Mr. Powell, told the House Financial Services Committee on Wednesday we're going to avoid adding uncertainty to what is already an extraordinary challenging uncertain moment. mister Powell said he expected the central bank would make would also make good progress preparing its plans to shrink its nine trillion asset portfolio, nine trillion dollar asset portfolio, but that it wouldn't finalize them at the march fifteenth and sixteenth meeting. Most Fed officials, Martin, have indicated they would prefer to begin raising their benchmark rate in March by a quarter percentage point. The size of all Fed rate increases since their last half point move in 2000. A few officials have hinted over the past week that they would be open to a larger increase this month. Powell began to lay the groundwork Wednesday for the possibility of larger than anticipated increases this summer by half percentage point increments if inflation doesn't diminish enough. All right. Put that in layman's terms for uh, the people who don't completely get it.
0: Yeah. So a lot of a lot of the. Volatility that we've been experiencing in the markets pre, you know, the fear of the Russia-Ukraine conflict was was really trying to figure out what was the Fed going to do to check inflation. And so, you know, Martin, markets don't like uncertainty. Markets generally like certainty, even if the news is not, you know, the ideal news or what would be best for you know, for the stock market, um, markets still do better in times of, of certainty. So some of the debate, cause you had Bullard come out and say, you know, Oh, we should go, we should be up, uh, you know, a hundred point hike or a 1% hike. And, and, um, and then that kind of got people freaked out going, Oh my gosh, is the fed considering what you said, the traditional increase has been one quarter of 1% at, you know, at each interval. And uh you know a full one percent rate hike would be like way off course with with what uh you know what the fed does and and also that's not priced into the market, so that created even more uncertainty and you started seeing markets just kind of gyrate well what what Powell said today in his you know in his testimony was that it was it was very likely. That they would continue with the, you know, the twenty-five or the twenty-five basis point or a quarter percent, you know, rate hike in two weeks, um, you know, at the at the Fed meeting, and that's what the market has priced in. So if you're looking at today, it's I mean, it's what it's a, it's eleven, it's eleven ten, you know, on Wednesday morning, and markets are up right now. Um, they look, yeah, S and P's up one one and three quarters percent when fed when fed, oh my gosh, when Jay Powell started his testimony, you know markets were up a half a percent, so just from the certainty that he's given in his testimony, markets have moved back you know moved up there's there's certainty uh there now, one of the things that and I was watching the Powell testimony before you know we got on the um the recording, and you know one of the Congress or one of the representatives. You know, it was kind of hammering him about what he said last year with that, you know, inflation was going to be um, kind of temporary and, you know, it would not be, it wouldn't be hanging around for a long time. And honestly, dude, I kind of, I thought the same thing. I thought this was very, a reopening deal. It was going to be somewhat transitory and it and it has persisted. So, you know, I was wrong on my side, but I, I saw the thing, I saw the world the way you know, Powell saw the world. Now it didn't happen that way. Inflation persisted. And so now they're having to, you know, make reactionary moves, which, which Powell has done a really good job kind of anticipating versus reacting. Um, you know, I'm not being critical of the guy by any stretch of the imagination, but he did miss the mark on, on, uh, you know, we should have probably started slowly hiking, you know, last year. But then, you know, markets would have, instead of being up, you know, 20% last year, markets would have been up 10 because of, because of that. So it's just, you know, was he late to the game? Yeah. Um, I I was on the same, you know, thought pattern as he was. And then you've had a little bit of turnover in the, you know, in the, in the Fed and who's the presidents and chair folks. And, um, you know, and Bullard came out kind of, just really aggressive and hawkish and, and spooked, um, you know, a lot of investors. And I still say, you know, like our investment policy here is so much dependent on what the fed does because, and I'll stick by my guns on this. I still think the fed is one of the largest influencers in the market, you know, above and beyond anything else and everything else. But it's actually good news if we're starting to increase interest rates a little bit and and that this conflict, you know, hasn't deterred him at all. He says, hey, like, I know there's uncertainty in Russia and Ukraine, but our economy is strong and we're healthy and we can take it and we're going to have to take it. So I think that's good news, although, you know, it might be volatile for markets, but it's good news for the economy. Okay. I'm gonna t- I just continue to take your word for it. I believe you. Well, if you took my word for it last year when I said, hey, this is going to be transitory, you know, I was wrong. And that's okay. I'm wrong sometimes. But it can happen. Yeah. But for the most part, the Fed is, I'll give them, I'll say they have a batting average of
1: 950. Okay. Pretty damn good.
0: Probably the best batter in the entire world. Not Um, probably, the best batter in the entire world.
1: This isn't meant, Martin, as a political statement, but... Last night, President Biden in his State of the Union, and I'm boiling this down to awfully simplistic, but he essentially said and then proceeded to behave as if, hey, we're moving past COVID. It's been a long two years, um, you know, he took credit for some things and whatever. I'm trying to find it where I can get this a little better which it's not my words. Uh, A year ago, in his first address to Congress, Biden spoke to a masked and distanced audience as the nation was in the grips of the pandemic. On Tuesday, the chamber had a different look uh, to go along with the president's more optimistic tone. While the audience was smaller than in years past, most were unmasked and attendees milled about chatting and hugging ahead of the remarks. First Lady Jill Biden and most of her guests weren't wearing masks. And Mr. Biden shook hands with lawmakers and others as he entered the chamber. In that setting, Mr. Biden suggested that the nation was moving into a new phase of the pandemic, calling it, quote, a new moment in the fight against COVID-19. Biden pledged to continue to work to vaccinate Americans, take steps to be ready for future variants, said the U.S. had the tools to keep schools and businesses open, stress that emerging from the pandemic isn't a guarantee and that it's still necessary to adhere, whatever, public guidelines, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the CDC has eased guidelines on COVID-19 masking. My daughter Caroline sent a picture of herself attending class today at the University of Arkansas without a mask. It is her first time since uh, March of her junior year that she's gone Ooh. to class without a mask, which is remarkable. Good for her good for her. Yes, as I've told her, never let them put it back on your face. Um, Anyway, my question is this. As it becomes obvious and I'm just being real here, as it becomes obvious that the Democrats have got to move away from this to avoid a bloodletting in November, how will this affect the markets as COVID kind of starts to go away from being a talking point? Or are we already there? Have we already hit a point of normalcy to the point where while we might do some theatrics because like airlines for example but for the most part are we are we over it from a market standpoint how it impacts the markets
0: uh man i i, I think we are and uh i mean i don't know that there can be i hate to say this and then i'll eat, eat my words I'm going to knock on wood as i say it uh i just don't know that there's i don't know that there's going to be anything new that could happen with covid that is going to cause you know markets to to totally melt down i mean it's it seems the as the new variants have come out you know they
1: have not been as severe as yeah they've not been as viril- virulent they yep. they might be more contagious but they're look and and, and you know they've the CDC is admitting now that natural immunity is strong and robust, and um, I don't even want to go there. There's there's one potential storyline that that I'll pass the buck here. I was listening to uh, Adam Carolla and and Doctor Doctor Drew on their show. Oh, cool! I didn't know they still do a show together. Yeah, they still do a show. It's usually pretty short. And they were talking about the possibility that. As insurance companies get claims, um, they are digging in and they're doing research as to what caused this. Because obviously, if you're running an insurance company, you you don't – the goal of, of life insurance, right, is that you get people that – like me. Stay alive. Yeah, you get people like me that 20 years ago bought a 30-year term. Right. And everybody goes, what a waste. Okay, it, it is. And you hope it's a waste um you hope that you don't die in those thirty years and that you live, but you 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 set it up so that if something were to happen to you that your family would would not be gutted financially. but the insurance companies are, their 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 hope is that the overwhelming majority of the people who take out that thirty year note um never they survive the thirty years. Some don't, obviously, and unfortunately, and tragically, and they pay those, and that's built into the business plan. Am I making sense so far?
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, once you, you get- Actuaries to make yeah, to make projections, and that's how they set premiums, and yeah. they manage
1: risk. Yeah. Yeah. But if you get to a point where suddenly more people in that age range are dying, well, now it's impacting your- your profit margins, your bottom line, your your ability to your your risk assessment, the whole deal and you start digging into what's what what's happening here because maybe somebody's on the hook, maybe somebody should be on the hook for this. And that's where this vaccine story is coming from, where people are looking into what's happening with some of these claims and they're wanting the insurance companies are wanting to pin it on the vaccine. and That's a potential story for down the road. We, we, we've never run out of material. I can't believe when we started this, we were always concerned we wouldn't have material. That's never been right. a problem.
0: I mean, and we were like lining up guests every week to talk about stuff, different stuff related to you know to the financial world. And then all of a sudden, it was just like, yeah, you know, what do they say? Uh, what's what is it in the in news and media? Is it, you know never pass up a a good opportunity for a story or or I can't remember what is never pass up a conflict or a crisis, whatever the the deal is. Well, COVID was COVID was that gold for us, man. Yeah. It just kept giving
1: us (laughs) stuff to talk about. And it keeps going. And I, I I do think that's a story to watch. And I'm not getting into vaccines. I'm vaxxed chill. But That said, I, I will not get a booster. I'm scared of the booster after things I've heard. Um, and I'm not alone. A lot of people in that boat with me. Um, so anyway, I I I am I, so I think that's kind of moving off the cycle as it affects the markets. I'm interested. To, it, I, I'm for you to say the same thing makes me think that I'm even more right. Uh, the other topic that came up a lot in uh, the president's speech last night was inflation. Uh, Biden called on Congress to work with him last night on priorities that were part of his stalled Build Back Better plan. He doesn't use that term anymore, but he did talk about a lot of the, the tenets of that, cutting the cost of prescription drugs, reducing energy costs, lowering the cost of child care. And uh, he tried to connect with Americans frustrated by rising prices. Quote, like many of you, I grew up in a family where if the price of food went up, it was felt throughout the family. It had an impact, the president said. Uh, Republicans have hammered Biden over price increases. They're holding regular news conferences on this issue highlighting inflation and political ads ahead of November's elections when they are favored to retake the majority in the House. This reading from, again, the Wall Street Journal, it, it, it's it's going to be the the thing that Biden and the Democrats have to attack, Martin, here in the next five, six months. They've They've either got to come up with a way to get prices down. Or they've got to be able to blame the other party for the prices staying up. And that's going to, both of those things are going to be a challenge, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think, I think prices will come down. And, and we've said this for, you know, I guess almost better part of a year now when we've been talking about inflation and, and supply chain issues. And, and, and that will, when supply chains kind of work themselves out, that will bring, you know, the cost of things down. And then what will also happen is just a natural cycle of things as, as inflation gets so high for producers of things, you know, business owners and managers have to make decisions on, you know, I've got, I can't control my input costs, right? Like, cause I can't tell my, the guy who's selling me honey to charge me less for the honey. I have zero control over that. The only thing they have control over is, you know, how much staff they have. And if they're having to pay staff more, that squeezes their margins to where, you know, a manager or a business owner, if they're operating at a loss, is not sustainable or they won't stay in business. They'll start cutting staff and they'll say, Hey, you know, the guys, you guys that are here are, you know, are mission critical. And I'm going to have to ask more out of you and I've paid you more. So, I need you to help me out here, and then it all it's it's just an ebb and flow, and I hate to say it sounds so flippant about it, but that's that's kind of how things happen um you know, or they'll automate jobs if they can and have machines do the work of humans i e Mcdonald's yeah, um, not that I go there.
1: Biden was pretty defensive yesterday, uh, aggressively defending the American Rescue Plan, the $1.9 trillion COVID relief law that passed nearly a year ago. He says it worked. It created jobs, lots of jobs. I'm just looking to see if there's anything other there that sort of impacts our uh, our topics. Not really. thought it was an interesting. The Republicans chose uh, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, to deliver the Republican response to the State of the Union. Kind of a new, unless you're an Iowan, sort of a new face on the stage, which I think is smart, something we can talk about um, over the course of time. Um, As the Republicans, I think, have to kind of begin the process. Because you know how this works, man. This This isn't political. The focus is going to be on the midterms until the night after the midterms are over, (laughs) at which point the focus is going to turn to this 2024 election, which is just crazy, potentially. I mean, the 2024 election, we'll finish here, has a chance to be just fascinating. This Mm -hmm. This is not me taking a political side. So you have all of the following elements involved in this as of today, March 2nd, 2022. And by a year from now, the election will be kind of in full swing. People will be raising money. We'll have a real good idea of what's coming. We won't be all that far from some of the primaries and stuff. We'll be, we'll be really, people will be really diving in on this. So it's still a year out, but that's not far. So you have obviously a sitting president, Joe Biden, who is eligible to run for reelection. who will be, God, I hate to get his age wrong, Seventy-eight is that right? When he runs a second time, or will he be older than that? Will he be in his eighties?
0: I'd have to ask Google, man.
1: Okay, he's he's an elderly person, and his health has been a topic of of conversation in the news cycle. That's for sure. You have a sitting vice president, Kamala Harris, who is wildly unpopular in the polls. Who Democrats internally are very scared of of her viability as a presidential candidate, and it's. It's conceivable that by that moment she'll be president. If you if you question Biden's overall health, yeah, as yeah. as many do, and I'm not saying I do or don't, I, but it's it's conceivable, of course. I mean, you're the vice president; you're a heartbeat away from the presidency, no matter who the president is. Um, so you have them, you have Hillary Clinton out there, um, clearly kicking the tires on a, on a run. I don't know of another democrat that immediately comes to mind as a as a strong candidate. There's been talk about Pete Buttigieg and whether some of Harris's internal battles with Buttigieg have to do with a potential presidential run for either of them. So you have that on the on the on the democratic side. Then on the republican side of course, you've got the the possibility of former president Donald Trump running. He hinted strongly at running. I guess it was over the weekend, first part of la- last week, whenever that was, um, at a, a at the CPAC down in Florida. He spoke, and he was not particularly ambiguous. Speaking of Florida, you've got the governor there, Ron DeSantis, who's wildly yep. popular with with conservatives. Um, and then you have candidates like Kim Reynolds, who. This, I'm reading this from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, earlier Tuesday, she signed into law a major realignment of her state's personal income tax system. She's up for reelection this year. She's also been mentioned by some as a possible running mate for uh, Trump should he decide to launch another uh, White House bid. So interesting. I mean, it really is. It's the idea of Trump and Hillary Clinton diving back into a presidential campaign <laughs> you think we're fractious now,
0: right? I would be like, "Oh man, it would just be bloodletting of the two of them." And I, I don't, I don't. Uh, that's funny to, for us to talk about. I just, I hope as a country we're beyond both of them.
1: I do too. I really do. I um, I'd love to see the, and and this is. <laughs> Me making listen to me. I made fun of the, the the battery people, and I really wasn't making fun. I just don't think it's realistic, and what I'm about to say probably isn't realistic either. Because I think I think too much damage has been done. You'd love to see a, a cycle. Frankly, I'd love to see a cycle where Biden just finished his term and did not run for reelection, um, and then you had a new face on the Democratic side, and whether it's DeSantis or or Reynolds or someone, a governor preferably, who's a a lot less um, caustic. And maybe we can calm down a little. I've used my, have I told you my pendulum comparison? So if you you take a pendulum and you, you know, ideally a a pendulum at the bottom of a clock. My grandmother had a, a clock when I was a kid, one of those cuckoo clocks. And I loved that damn clock. There was something comforting about it, but you'd watch the gold pendulum swing. You know
0: what I'm talking about? Yeah. The um like grandfather clock. Yeah,
1: it's so a grandfather clock. And you'd watch yeah, yeah. I always just loved the clock. It was very comforting. You'd hear it tick, tick, tick. But you could watch the pendulum swing. And that was what, you know, kind of controlled the mechanism and all that stuff. And so it was designed to swing a little to the left and then a little to the right. And then the same amount to the left, same amount to the right, balanced. That's kind of how it kept time. Well, if you take a pendulum and you swing it far to the right, when it hits its apex, when it swings back to the left, it's going to go with a different level of velocity that sends it equally far to the left. And then it keeps coming back. And I think... I think that's where we are in our country right now. We swung further to the left in Obama's second term than I think a lot of us realized we overcorrected with Trump who swung far to the right. And now we're overcorrecting with Trump with a Biden administration that appears dead set on swinging as far to the left as the damn pendulum will take. And if that holds history says there will be a, a correction Yep. And that correction uh, that correction doesn't need to be, hey, let's see how far to the right we can swing. It needs to be, is there something we can do to get the damn pendulum under control?
0: Yes, and closer to the middle.
1: Like slow it down, decelerate it a little, get it where it, maybe it swings to the right a little. And maybe, but, what, but we calm it down. And, and, and I think that's what a lot of people out there are hoping for. But I'll be honest, I, I don't know that that's realistic today. I don't know that that's realistic today. Um,
0: Well, COVID has certainly fueled the fire of polarizing and hopefully, and hopefully, man, in a, by the time we get to the generals, we'll be far enough away from COVID that people will start kind of thinking normally again, versus being, you got to be in this camp or that camp.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of things that has to happen first. I think the media has to win back the public trust. I think the government has to win back the public trust. There's a lot there, right? I mean, this is why this Russian thing is is the Russian-Ukraine thing is really, this is one that everyone's got to get right beyond avoiding, the obvious, avoiding nuclear war. right? I think beyond that, it's regaining some trust where you feel like you're being told some version of the truth. And not just a wild lie. I think a lot of people right now feel lied to. They don't trust anyone. And the mixed messaging. Like I was telling you about the. It's one of the reasons I think the mask thing needs to go away. Mask. No matter what you think of masks. And I clearly think they're a joke. But no matter what you think of masks. They became politicized. And. There are people who don't want to stop. There are people who don't want to stop wearing masks. Because they're legitimately scared. And there are people that don't want to wear a mask because they don't want to give up. I think that sense of virtue and belonging and hey, you know, and I think that's the part. And then there are people that never would put a mask on because they just by God were sick of it or, or they, they, it was became not wearing, it was almost a MAGA hat of a way. And, and all of that's kind of dangerous. And I don't know, as we go into the rest of, as we get into the midterm cycle, because we're about to get into the midterm cycle now, pretty hard. It's March. People are going to start getting serious about these campaigns. The ads are going to pick up. There's right now the rhetoric's pretty strong, and so I think that's where we're headed for a little while. So maybe as we get into the summer and fuel prices and all of the things that we've talked about. So
0: yep, we'll see how it affects midterms.
1: Martin, as always, uh, is great talking to you. Hope, hope, dude, I appreciate you, man. I enjoyed it. Hope, hope you guys you have
0: safe travels wherever you're heading this weekend, and and uh, we'll do it again next week.
1: Okay, I look forward to it. So that's Martin Palomo. I'm Neil McCready. That does it for this edition of Mind on My Money, presented by Pinnacle. Don't forget it's MyPinWealth.com, M-Y-P-I-N-N-Wealth.com to get in touch with Martin and the great people there at Pinnacle. So until next week, have a, uh, have a safe time out there, and uh, thanks for making us a part of your week, and we'll talk to you again soon.